Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series. Uh, I'm very pleased today to have with me Katie Allen, who's a specialist in quality and an inclusion coach. So, uh, Katie and I have got to know each other through the Professional Speaking Association in the East Midlands, as a few people who were on the Leadership Mind Press and Mindset Podcast Series, and I thought it would be brilliant to have Katie on. And also, she's a TEDx speaker as well, and host of her own podcast series, the Speaking of Inclusion podcast series. So you can check that out as well if you enjoy and find what Katie's talking about interesting, as I'm sure you will today. So with decades of experience in people, culture, commercial leadership, Katie's now on a mission to make inclusive conversations the norm in every workplace. And through sharing her own moments of awakening, some mistakes that she's talked through with me before as well, she wants to help you listening to this episode today get more confident with having real conversations that matter and get get rid of the fear of putting your foot in it which we should all have a fear of doing that shouldn't we katie but anyway welcome katie (laughs) thank you so much thank you for the introduction tony it's fantastic to be here with you good good okay then so just to give people who don't know anything about you katie a little bit of background what's been your journey to where you are today and what you're doing now what what's yeah. your background and what led you to this absolutely so it's such a it's such a good question that even to begin with because when i think about people who work in the the kind of the diversity and inclusion space such as myself like nobody ever got up in the morning one day and said oh i really want to get into inclusion like everybody's come on a journey to arrive here and generally it involves having some sort of experience at work usually negative that kind of really brings you into the space and I'm no exception so as you said there my career started um, back in kind of corporate leadership so I worked in the petrochemical industry for a decade and that is an incredibly male-dominated environment for any of your listeners who are not familiar with it Um, and as a woman in her kind of mid-20s in a leadership position it was a really difficult environment to navigate Um, yeah so for me, it was kind of my own experiences within that space of the things I thought we shouldn't maybe shouldn't be doing or things we could be doing better and how I really struggled to bring about change from my position. And then I almost thought, oh, OK, I need to do more than this. This isn't working. How how can I really lean into this? And I thought, I know the answer to this is I'm going to retrain and get into HR because HR have all the policies and the process. And that's where the people stuff happens that's going to be the ticket to making change. So I completely pivoted in my career, went into HR management, only to find out that wasn't the golden solution that I thought it was. And now I was just in charge of all the policies and things that I didn't necessarily agree with. So it was really that moment of, oh, okay, you have one kind of power and influence when you work on the kind of the more commercial side of a business. And then you have a different level of insight when you move over into kind of people and business partnering in that way. And I really came into the work that I'm doing now through my own desire to want to create businesses to be more inclusive and bringing all these levels of business that I had been putting together along the way. And I just thought, actually, I don't want to be working within an organisation trying to change one company. I want to be partnering with the kind of businesses who want to make real and meaningful change. And I can be more effective of that if I set up my own business, which is exactly what I did. 
Yeah, brilliant. And um, interesting to hear that sort of navigation through where you think you could have an impact and where maybe you couldn't have as much of an impact as possible. I know we'll probably get into this, but one question that jumped into my mind where you were talking then was what kind of size businesses do you think should be um, thinking more seriously about the issues around inclusion? Well, as if as if there's a box that I can put them in. It, for me, it's every business. But of course, I it's thought you approach. might say that. Yeah, of course it is. But it's the approach that um, that businesses would take will be different depending on the size of an organisation. Because if you are, you know, a team of twelve in a startup and you're kind of looking to um, scale and grow quickly, you're going to have a different approach to how your business works and probably the products or services you provide. Um, versus, let's say, some of the really big organisations that are multinationals, really long time established, huge teams of people that can help you deliver this work. So your strategies are going to be really different. And from my perspective, that's where this work becomes interesting, because you don't want to just be Googling like what is inclusion, trying to find a checklist and doing those things, because that's not going to work. It is really more about getting in touch with what is the culture of your business? What is it that you are trying to achieve and what you stand for? And how are you going to bring those circumstances together to create, a, you know, the kind of environment where people can thrive, can do their best work, um, where you can, you know, nurture and be innovative and be productive and achieve all of your business aims, but doing it through a lens of making sure that people feel like they belong in the workplace too. Yeah, no, Absolutely. So you've started to touch on it there anyway, um, but what has made you so passionate about inclusion and being involved in that area there? Then? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is kind of an easy one, really. It was that the feelings that I had of knowing how it felt to not be included. So knowing how it felt to very often be sometimes not only the only woman in a room, but the only woman in an area on a site. So I spent a lot of time on oil refineries. Um, they are not diverse environments Um, and you find yourself or I I certainly found myself um, feeling a certain way in some of those environments I mean even things like um, if I needed to go to the loo sometimes there weren't always provisions for me anywhere on site so I had to walk a mile back to the admin block because you know there were ladies losing the admin block but on site you can forget about it I mean it's it's very different nowadays I've been back on site more recently things are changing but it was those kind of situations and then also the things I recognised about myself, like I changed who I was to try and fit into that environment. So, yeah, okay. I, you know, I didn't kind of dress up nicely. I was always in the, the standard jeans and a polo shirt. I never wore nail polish. I kept my makeup to a minimum. Like I, I really changed who I was and how I behaved to be one of the lads to fit into the mould of what I thought um leadership needed to be in that environment and I realize now that was obviously (laughs) well it was hugely damaging and for myself personally um it you know it leads into all kinds of things such as you know the imposter syndrome and burnout eventually um but also it's not role modeling um in any way shape or form for the women that would be coming behind me in that organization as well the the standard I was setting was this is how you have to be to survive in this environment so not only am I kind of doing myself a disservice, but I'm doing other people a disservice as well. So this is where my passion comes from, because actually, like I've been on both sides, I've experienced it, but I've also contributed to it. So for me, I want to help people not do that. I want you know, I want to be able to have those conversations that are meaningful so we can look at the angles and say, OK, 
here are the things that we can change us you know, externally within our environment, but also here are the things we can change within ourselves so that we can break the cycles. Yeah, interesting that. And it's um, a big issue in my work as well. I've obviously in different ways, but that looking at the external and the internal. Mm. And, um, and I guess there's so much to look at internally. And then there are just practical, I mean, it's just putting up on something so small there when you talk about the availability of loos and all that kind of yeah. thing. And um, it's the practicalities. And I guess that the trouble is with that is when you can get, when you can get more into that, almost like that checklist approach as you, that you were talking about earlier, really. Um, but amazing that you've got so much to it, really. And mm. I remember in your TEDx talk, which we'll signpost people to at the end, actually, because it's, it's well worth people watching. You also spoke about um, a point in your life. I can't remember how, what age it was now, Katie, you have to remind me. Where you rea- said you realised you were a white woman. Yes. I, I was 36 years old when I realised I was white. Yeah, the opening line yeah. of my TED talk. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you can share a little bit about that then, that, that yeah. sort of realisation. Yeah. So, you know, as we've already kind of touched on, so my my feelings around how it feels to be a woman in a male-dominated environment I was kind of really understanding of the the ways in which I was oppressed in certain situations. And I had, you know, that was a level of, um, yeah, of knowledge that I possessed. And it wasn't until I really started to do my own internal work and think about other aspects of my identity that, you know, it was, and it feels, it feels really silly, but it was a light bulb moment for me of, obviously, I've always known the colour of my skin is white. Like I have a mirror and I and I get that. But also it's it's more about what that means in terms of the way in which I am treated and received by society. So for me, it was that kind of pivotal moment of understanding. Yes, I um, I have challenges that I face on account of my gender that um, other people may not have. But actually, there are definitely barriers that I do not face um, yep. because of being racialized as white. So it was that really pivotal moment of me of like, oh, now I start to understand there's a term called intersectionality that I also talk about in the talk. We're going to come to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so it's really about understanding how all of those aspects of your identity come together um, and how as someone who would have considered themselves a feminist, I was really basically, you know, a white feminist. I wasn't yeah. considering all of the the other angles that really, truly mean creating fair and equitable um, environment so for me that was a real light bulb moment of like oh now I see it and once you see it you can't unsee it you can't unlearn and then you start to think through all of the other things well actually I don't have um, a disability that limits how I navigate my life so for me it was a bit like uh, there are all of these other layers that I now understand that I need to be really seriously building in and that's what I guess accelerated the work that I do so just going from being more of a corporate in-house person who was really keen to drive that agenda internally to really understanding why things needed to change and then why all of a sudden staying within that box wasn't going to work for me. I had to be doing more. Yeah, and it's interesting you talking about that almost that moment of realisation for you and, and that that point where you start to see things in it. I think this can happen in life in broader sense, but particularly in this area, you start to see things in a way you didn't see before. Yeah. And, and if I'm picking up on it, Katie, and I would relate to this, and, and to a degree from a place of empathy and understanding that you suddenly start to see and think about things differently than you did before. And it's hard to reverse that. I think I might have shared with you when we were chatting before when I did some 
training years ago. But I mean, we're talking 20, 20 plus years ago, maybe on, on political correctness in the workplace. And that was a pivotal moment for me when I thought, I get this and I get why it's important. Um, and so when the whole woke thing has come along and the anti-woke uh, yeah. sort of um, people that are around, I am, I'd like to think I'm strongly woke and I'm certainly an endeavour anyway. And I think that, like you said, that was a, because of a pivotal moment. Just that one piece of training that shifted my perspective and thinking. And as you say, uh, for you, that happened for you and that was that was impossible to reverse then. Uh, and, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and you realise, don't you, where you, you know, we go through lives and it, and, it, and it is all about learning. Like the only thing we ever know with 100% certainty is what our own life experiences are and the experiences of everybody else. We have to learn. And, yeah. and it's just those series of moments that kind of add up in the same way that we gather knowledge about anything else. Um, but for this, it was, you know, this was one of those fundamental accelerating moments for me of, all of a sudden I could see the the box of the jigsaw and I was like, ah, okay. So I've been putting all these pieces together and, and trying my best, but now I see where we're going. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the huge step, huge step change moment. Yeah. No. Okay. And so anything else that's sort of, I mean, there's some really interesting things there. Anything else that's fed into that passion about what you do? Ooh, is that not enough? <laughs> no, it is. No, it is. No, Casey is. Um, just whether you wanted yeah. to add I mean, well, I mean, actually, we say, you know, the, the kind of the funny thing is since recording um, that TED talk, so I recorded that just over a year ago now. And then the statement of I was 36 years old when I realized I was white. I was 40 years old when I realized I was asexual. So, the, yeah. that is, you know, so you, you, your learning is continually going. And again, that only came about because being in the space yeah. and trying to do more in-depth work around LGBTQIA plus issues that you start to research more about gender and sexuality. And as I was reading about asexuality, I was like, oh, crikey, that's me. That's how I feel. And I'd never really understood it before. I'd never had okay. to explain how I felt about things until that absolute moment. Um, and I find that really fascinating as well. So as much as I, you know, I'm doing the work now and I do act in a capacity, certainly in, in my space as a thought leader, I also know I don't know everything because I, I still don't know everything about myself. So this is why for me, it's really important that we talk about this kind of fear of putting our foot in it because we can't know everything. There is absolutely, yeah. it's an impossibility to understand all aspects of human identity so the best we can do is operate with the knowledge that we've got. And and I feel like when I share the things that I'm learning and the mistakes I've made and the things I learn about myself, my my intention is to give permission to other people to kind of say, just, you know, just just lean into what you do and what you don't know. And that's yeah. that's OK. Wherever you are is is totally OK. Um, just keep, you know, keep your eyes open, stay, stay awake, stay woke, you know, yeah. stay, stay present and listen to what's going on around you and, and build that learning in. Oh, I love that. And I think it's being prepared to stay awake and realise you may either have been wrong in the way you're thinking before um, or that you learn, as you say, learn something about yourself or other people that you didn't realise before. And I think your posts are really brave on LinkedIn. I, I, I enjoy watching your posts. And I know you did three. It was a fairly recent one you did on asexuality. And all credit to you, because I'm, I'm sure that with the nature of a number of your posts, that you must get some challenging uh, messages and comments and what have you. Um, yeah. So all credit to you for doing that. And um, and it's 
it, it's like, as you say about staying awake, um, I'm writing my book at the moment um, on survival psychology in five different areas of survival psychology. And one of the areas in my, I've got five areas, and one of the areas I, I referred to as tribal behaviour. And you, in a very polite way, picked me up on the use of the word tribe and said you might want to consider whether as a white male that's going to be best word to use. And a, a lot of the, and here's the thing, we, we should all resist getting defensive if somebody points something out to us or, you know, makes a comment. And And I very quickly thought, I don't think this is the right word for me to, I know it's used, in the, in the way I was intending to use it by other people. And, but I still thought, okay, it's worthwhile reconsidering that and doing something different. So it was, I think that's the, that's the courage as well, isn't it, for us to have yes. conversations with, yes. with people and, and with ourselves, to be fair. Absolutely. When we pick up something that may not be right in the way that it would relate to somebody else. And, send, you know, it works about being sensitive, isn't it, Katie, for, uh, yeah. great, to a great extent? Yeah. Absolutely. And and what you're what I'm hearing there is, you know, you're perfectly describing the understanding that we can have about the difference between our intention of why we're doing something and the impact it can have. Yeah. And it's that's yeah, one yeah. of those spaces like understanding those two things that like my intention may never be to upset somebody or offend somebody. But the impact of it, I mean, it could be that I, you know, I, I will have yeah. said something that has upset somebody. And both of those things can be true at the same time. And exactly yeah. being able to then have the conversation to say, OK, well, I can I can acknowledge that I didn't intend this, but I can also acknowledge that it has had an impact or that it might have an impact. And and in your case, you know, that was a really um, it was a really excellent conversation that we had because you were like, yeah, do you know, I've been thinking about that. And, and and we just had a really nice chat. And then it was completely up to you what you wanted to do with it. That that was, you know, that was your choice. But it was just that moment of, yeah, let's just check this. And then you get to make a conscious decision about whatever it is you want to do going forward. And for What's me, those, those are the moments of, um, you know, because you, if, if no one raises anything, you don't get that moment of pause to challenge and think, oh, do I want to do this? Because the answer yeah. is going to be yes, but at least you've had that moment to, to think and choose. And that's what I believe we should do more of, just those moments of pause. So rather than just reacting and responding, we're kind of going, mm, yeah, let me think about that. Uh, yeah, okay, no, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take that away. Or no, I don't really fancy it. And that's okay. Yeah, conscious decisions and conscious choices are a big part of what I talk about. So definitely get you in, in relation to that because we can carry on unchecked either by somebody else or ourselves and end up doing something that, as you say, has an impact that we never wanted to have really. And for me, um, you know, for example, I use the expression group behaviour now and is it quite as an impactful a word, group, as tribe? Maybe not. Um, but group behaviour, I'm fairly confident, won't cause any offence. And um, and so, what you know, why not? Why not take that class? Really. Um, so brilliant. I wanted to bring in another question because it's sort of sort of related, I guess. The the whole piece about allyship. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could explain for people listening to this. First of all what what you see allyship as and why you think it's important and i guess what people can do uh, practically yeah. around that yeah so um so for anyone who's who's unsure so ally it's, it's spelled a double l y because a lot of the time people don't even know how to pronounce it so it's ally not ally 
um, and an allyship is simply um, when we as individuals um, recognize that we navigate life in a way that we have certain levels of privilege and we might be part of a group or um, wanting to be working in support of a group who does not have certain levels of privilege at that moment so if we were to be an ally that just means we recognize the situations where oh okay I'm not facing a barrier that someone else is I can do something to help support that group even though I'm not a member of the group so for example um when we think about the, in 2020 when everyone was speaking about Black Lives Matter for good reason so as a white person obviously I don't understand the experiences of being black I don't I couldn't fully um, whilst I can try and empathise, I couldn't fully understand the issues that they were facing. However, as an ally, I can align myself with the cause to say, I understand why this is important and I can act in accordance with what's going to work for you and, and, and support you. So it's really about understanding, even though I'm not directly impacted, I can do things using my own privilege to really stand up and step up for other people. Yeah, it's great. And and I think I might have shared with you, I, I really like um, Chuck D out of Public Enemy and um, a quote he came out with around the, around the sort of Black Lives Matter period. And, and I was a I was a supporter of that. I, again, I, I felt from an allyship point of view, I had to put things out on Facebook about my support for it. And I got into difficulties. For one or two yeah. people unfriended me or that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I he, lost friends over it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But he said, he's quoted something like... Um, Privilege is when you don't see something as a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. Yeah. And um, and I felt that the all lies matter kind of you know perspective on things yeah. was was a little bit around that. I think it was standing to one side of something and realizing you're talking from a privileged place yeah. where you're not experiencing in experiencing the problem. So so yeah. But I mean, what what examples? of allyship do you think people listening to this podcast episode would yeah. be mindful of doing then yeah so there are kind of um just a couple of key ways that you can act as an ally so the obvious ones tends to be kind of i talked just then around stepping up so active doing something um and this might be if you observe um something happening and and we see it, right? We we have those moments, don't we? When you hear something's been said or you witness something happening and your gut tells you like, oh, I don't think this is right. But then we kind of also fall into that bystander trap of, well, if no one else is going to do anything, I'm not going to do anything. So if you're going to act as an ally, it's about tuning in and recognising all those feelings that are going on for you where you're thinking, oh, this isn't right. You take that step and you say something. And saying something can mean like calling it out directly as it's happening if that feels safe and appropriate to do so or it could mean taking someone to one side later on and just saying hey you know when you said whatever it is you said um yeah for me that felt like that felt a bit like too close to the bone or that didn't feel great or here's here's what that did for me and just kind of having a conversation to help people understand but then it can also mean um kind of the reverse so we we hear a lot of talk now when we have uh, speaking panels put together and there's this uh, throwaway term called a manal, which is when you have a speaking panel made up of all white men. Um, and it's around <laughs> if you're if you are a white man and you're invited to speak on a manal, um, check out who your other speakers are. And if you when you see those speakers and you think, actually, do you know what? My perspective is probably already represented amongst this group. I'm not you know, there's nothing going to be said by me that won't already be said. 
you know, challenge the organisers of that event to say, you know, step up as an ally and say, how about you include the perspective of someone who isn't represented? And it's about, so rather than, you know, stepping up and speaking on behalf of, you are actually stepping back and passing the mic so that other people can speak for themselves. So it's yeah, really no, okay. those, those kind of two ways of of um, of thinking about. And, and also, I guess there's, you know, you can be an ally simply by um, echoing and sharing the voices of others as well and and we, this is easily done on platforms like linkedin or other social media if you if you see a post by someone from a marginalized group so for example at, at the time of us recording this um it is transgender awareness week um but there are various events that happen um all throughout the calendar year um you know be be vocal on social media share information that you're reading things that you're learning talk about it and share the content yeah. of other creators um, to help yeah. them get the platform that you have access to. Yeah, no, I get that. I wasn't going to go off into this question, but I will. It just went to my mind. <laughs> so we'll see where we go with this one. What are your thoughts on, this is quite a contentious issue, what are your thoughts on positive discrimination? <laughs> um, well, it is illegal. So, <laughs> so yeah, in its, in, its, um, in its rawest form, so positive discrimination would essentially be where you know you take a look at let's say in a recruitment term you take a look at the makeup of your organization and you think oh we're really not very representative and then you actively go out of your way to hire people who look or are different to try and balance the numbers um that is that is discriminatory discrimination is discrimination and it is illegal so i do not advise that anybody um plays the game that way um so in terms of just a, a numbers or a bums on seats um, approach I, I don't think it's the way forward but what I would say is um, a positive approach that could be taken that is not discrimination is then really looking at well okay if you have got a fairly homogenous workforce for example and homogenous simply is the opposite of diverse it means very similar um, if you've got a very homogenous workforce think about the reasons why that might be you know yeah. what is it that you're doing that is attracting a similar type of person or what processes or experiences are you creating within your teams that will attract people who are different um how yeah. are you understanding and engaging with people who are different to say what is it that's putting you off applying for these jobs you know if i think about again back to my experiences in petrocam it's really obvious why it was really difficult to attract more women into the workplace because I was having a horrible time and I wouldn't want to have recommended anybody come and work with me. Um, and so, it, so it, the answers were all there for me. But my response to that was like, I'll just fit in and then we can make everybody else fit in too. So, you know, it's about, are we doing that? Are we just fitting in with one another because that's easiest? Or are we challenging ourselves to say, actually, what are we going to do that is different to create an environment where more people are able to participate and feel safe to participate. Yeah, and, and in, I'm listening to you there as well. Um, I guess, like you said, if you've got a homogenous workforce or a homogenous senior leadership team or what have you, it's worth looking at it. Okay, so I accept the point on positive discrimination. Uh, but it's worth looking at what are you doing that are putting uh, barriers in place for people coming out of different groups to, to either join the senior leadership team or the way that you might be wording job um, job descriptions in a you know an advertisement for a job or it's thinking about where you actually either subconsciously or consciously creating barriers to people yeah. Um, yeah. 
and and just ways in which people can look at that as well there are tend to be kind of three key areas my three a's so you look at access so you look at what are the barriers to access that exist for people so such as you've said there so how are you wording job adverts how are you screening cvs and how are you hosting interviews you know are they accessible for people with different um, needs and requirements yeah and then um the next a is advancement so that's how are you progressing people through your organization so what are the you know what juicy projects are given to who how are people selected for that how does your appraisal system work you know what what are your succession plans looking like and who do you overlook through that um and then the final a is authenticity which is how are you creating a space that is safe and welcoming for people to come to work as their authentic self? Um, because saying the words, we welcome people, to, you know, we want our staff to come to work as their authentic self. That's one thing, but actually doing things that make it safe to do so is much, much harder. And that's the piece that I, where I see a lot of organisations falling down. Again, that's moving away from that sort of checklist approach to things to really get in it and, um, I guess that includes, you know, psychological safety for people 100%. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, mm. I mean, trust and psychological safety are at the absolute heart of a lot of this work. Yeah, no, get you. No, brilliant. Um, we touched on a topic. Well, you touched on a topic a little while ago. And I want to come back to it. Um, intersectionality, again, an important term. So I thought it'd be good to get your take on that and why it's good for people to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, so intersectionality. So it's a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in the 80s. And it, it at the time, it was in specific reference to the feminist movements of the 80s. And what Kimberly Crenshaw recognised was that the work that was being done um, in support of women at that time was working incredibly well, but it was working in favour of white women. And it wasn't taking into account the additional burden of racism that black women were facing alongside um, sexism and misogyny. So intersectionality simply means understanding that we aren't any one aspect of our identity in isolation. We are the combination of all of the things that make us who we are. So, you know, if we are creating um, solutions to think oh we need we need to get more women in the workplace and you're trying to create policies or processes or, or practices that are going to help that are you simply just viewing women as a monolith or are you thinking about black and brown women as well as white women are you thinking about um, women with disabilities are you thinking about neurodivergent women and trans women and how are you thinking about all types of women um, as an example so it really is about you know nobody wants to be put in a box do we of today today tony you're a man and that is all you are you know nobody wants that we we don't exist in a world that works that way yeah you know and i was um i was looking at some research which is going to be a bit hazy in my mind now but it was something about that even ticking boxes on application forms can shift people's psychology about themselves um and their performance on tests and this kind of thing so um as you say tip boxing so i guess for a person who's either in a company or a leader in a company what about in practicing with intersectionality what what kind of things can they be doing in in a practical way around that i think i might my first point for any to be for any work within this space is always look to yourself you know the again the only thing you can never know with 100 certainty is what it's like to be you so think about yourself first and your own experiences through the different lenses of who you are so if i was to do that for myself 
what I now know about myself is okay yes I'm a, I'm a white cisgender woman I am queer um I don't live with a disability um I don't have any neurodivergence that I'm aware of um and and I can go through each of these things um now I can think about my spiritual beliefs, my religious beliefs, my um, income status. There are all these different things that play into who we are. And just think about how each of those things will have influenced me and my decision making. And then you can flip it and think, OK, so what if I was someone who does not have all of these characteristics? Where How would my experiences be different? And, you know, think about that from an individual perspective first to help you understand how does that feel and then you can start using that as a lens to overlay well what happens in the workplace so yeah. you know, if if when you when you're driving into work one morning if you think about from the minute you you get out of bed to the moment you sit down to eat your lunch that's so the first half of a day if you were trying to navigate your day um, as a person with a sight impairment how would that be different if that's not something that you you currently have so you know, how would your life be different? And just try and navigate a, a portion of your day and just see what value yeah. you're up against. Love um, that. That is yeah. brilliant, Katie. I think um, that for me, that sounds like uh, almost part of a bit more deeper empathetic approach to other people, isn't it? Um, well, not just empathy, because empathy is a word that people pick a lot in terms of people's feelings and emotions, but that theory of mind bit as well, understanding what it's like in a very broad sense yeah. for somebody else who is, as you say, different to yeah. um, yourself, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a sort of deeply empathetic approach. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, really yeah. good. Thank you. And and actually, as a build on that as well, if if because there are, there are some kind of identities and ways of thinking about things that we can't even begin to understand what it would feel like so that could be quite difficult to be able to empathize with so in that regard that's when you know things such as listening to podcasts books ted talks you know getting yeah. out i mean there is so much content on the internet now just through social media i mean people laugh but i say tiktok is a fantastic resource if you can if you can stand its frantic pace um because there is so much good content on there you can go and educate yourself about people who are different from you just by lurking yeah, yeah. on social medias and reading and learning. And you can pick up some real gold insight that you can then bring back and think, okay, now I know that. Yeah. Um, how does that change how I'm viewing this policy that we have at work? Or now yeah, I'm yeah. part of a recruiting panel. What does that mean differently for me? Yeah, no, I love that. And I think the thing is sometimes we can be in danger of, just watching or reading the similar sort of stuff. Whereas if you put yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit and, and watch other things that challenge you a little bit more, yeah. it might shift you, your way of thinking. It might shift your perspective, might yeah. change how you feel about things. So yeah, totally. that's, that's and, good and advice. And actually, just in saying that, you've, you've kind of teed me up really nicely because as you say that, it, it made me think about the model that I use, which is um, I, us and we. And when we think about, you know, through the media that we consume, um, it's really easy, like you say, to feed into the algorithms of, you know, clicking the stuff that we like because it's comfortable and it's familiar to us. Um, but all we do is then get more of the same. So it does take an, a real conscious effort to introduce our brains to the concept of doing something differently um, and stepping outside of that comfort zone to really understand more broadly um, what does it mean to be part of a group of a community of society that isn't just made up of people like me yeah and and i'm glad you we were going to talk about ios and we because it was in your tedx talk and i, and I wanted to pick up on that so 
Um, share with people a little bit your your perspective on that I was I us we journey then. Yeah. So well, uh, to be fair, it begins with so it begins with me. So me is really all yeah. around like who am I? Um, what do I like? What do I dislike? And this is the space that most of us are most comfortable with because we know yeah. everything about us ourselves. Um, that that me is a really really easy mindset to occupy. Um, pushing out one level wider becomes an us mindset. So this really is around the people that we relate to most closely. So our friends and our family and people we have strong connections with. But what we tend to find is, you know, again, when we think about our brains, and I know that you talk about this a lot, Tony, and it's also in your book, but it's around that kind of fight or flight response. You know, we like things that are familiar. Our brains do not naturally love diversity. We love sameness. We like to feel seen and heard and reflected so us is simply that because our brains want to surround us with people who are just like us because that's you know um evolutionarily been safe for us um and actually what we need to do to create a society that can show up and be more inclusive for one another is we need to be able to push through that to get into a we mindset which is simply how am i thinking about experiences that are not just feeling safe and comfortable for myself how am i challenging myself to really see people who are not like me as well yeah brilliant and i and um yeah as you said really i talk about that in relation to, to group behavior because as you said from a point position of evolutionary safety we like being in groups where we feel secure and we feel connected yeah. and often then we'll gravitate to family friends or it might be social media groups people that have the same kind of views as us because we feel comfortable with that but that challenging moving to the we um, it is where you'll just learn much more about the richness and fullness of life and about other people, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if I'm honest, you know, in, in connecting with people who are different to yourselves and learning more about them and their lives and them as, as other humans that occupy this planet with us, all it does is expand the us circle because what was once unfamiliar becomes familiar. So that yeah. kind of that difference and that threat um, that again, that we feel internally because again, you know, social isolation um, meant death back in the day, didn't it? You know, if we, if we aren't part of our gang and we are exiled, we've got no shelter, we're dead. You know, we've got no food, we're dead. So it's, it's a real fear that we hold um, but the more that we can connect with people who are different than us, the more we bring them into the us space. So that fear of being you know, socially isolated lessens. So yeah. it, it's kind of the ever increasing circle of winning that we really yeah. want to be going to. So whilst we say, OK, we're moving to a, a we mindset, but honestly, it's just bringing more comfort into our our immediate space. It's, it's expanding the us yeah. circle isn't it for yeah. onto a better expression yeah. so yeah no brilliant okay so final question mm. well before i ask you about how you can signpost yourself um for other people to find out more about you in terms of leaders listening to this and, and you've been touching on a, a number of areas already katie but just if you wanted to share anything just to finalize things really what can leaders do to raise awareness of matters around inclusion and shift cultures around that as well what what can leaders do for themselves and for, for other people in the organisation? Yeah. So, yeah, so two twofold answer to that. So for your for yourselves, it would absolutely be do the internal work first, because as again, as humans, we, we, we all know we've got biases. 
Um, yeah. But as as people, we've got a thing called action bias, right? We love to get to the doing. It's like, oh, I can. how do I fix this thing? How do I do something different? And what we can often do when we try and you know, skip steps, essentially, to get to the action. And actually, we need to press rewind on that and go back and, and do the internal work and think, what is it I don't understand? What is it? Where are my knowledge gaps? You know, what is it that I'm really uncomfortable about talking about? And you don't have to share this with anyone else, but you do at least have to be honest with yourself. You know, what is it that if you had to get up and have a conversation with someone about pronouns, could you do that? You know, yeah, would okay. you find yourself doing the absolute linguistic gymnastics of trying to say everything because you don't want to get it wrong? You know, and, and I've seen so many people do that. Um, circumnavigate the word black because they don't know if it's okay to say black. So they come up with all kinds of different ways of describing people and you just think, well, that's like, that's really unnecessary, <laughs> you know, so just get comfortable. And if you aren't comfortable, that's a really good indication to say maybe that's where your knowledge gap exists and, and go and do a little bit of learning um, to make yourself more comfortable on that. Because if we don't do that foundational work first and we start leaping to action, it can get really, really uncomfortable really quickly. Yeah. And in doing that work, it also makes it easier when someone comes to you with a question, you can just say, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. And you don't have to be the person with all the answers. You yeah. can own your own vulnerability and say, gosh, that's a really good question. Let's go and find out. Let's go and get an answer to that. Let's explore it. I don't know where, what our organization stands for on that point. Let's go and yeah. give it some thought. Let me have a conversation. So that would be the first piece. Like, do the inner work first. Because... Yeah taking the time to set those foundations will only accelerate the action that you can then achieve going forward and then in terms of from an organizational perspective the first thing again I would say people should really be doing or leaders especially should really be doing is listening what is going on within your organization currently how do the people within your business feel about being within your business do the listening piece first um, because again it can be really um exciting to say oh I've, I've just learned something about pronouns and we're going to make everybody um mandatory for using pronouns we want them everywhere um and in essence that might feel like a really good action to take but if you have um, someone within your organization who is questioning their gender identity or is thinking about coming out as trans but they're not sure whether it's safe or not to then mandate the use of pronouns without kind of any education or listening coming first could really make that person feel hugely uncomfortable because you're asking them to pick outing themselves and saying, actually, I, I now would like to use they, them pronouns and, or, you know, I, I was she, her, now I would like to be known as he, him. So you're putting them in that awkward position of picking how they really think they feel or yep. asking you to double down on using pronouns that actually they aren't sure work for them in the first place. Right. So it's really about do your listening piece first before you leap to action just to understand what the impact of your actions are going to be. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Get that. And I think that's that the danger, isn't it? You can start jumping in and making the wrong decisions on actions. Uh, and, and and actually, I'm, I'm not just doing this to sell your services, although I am really, <laughs> but 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 talk to bring in experts and talk to experts as well uh, who yeah. can guide you with that, because um if you're feeling uncomfortable and you want to get things right and not put your foot in it, as your your expression yes. used, yep. then talk to people who are more expert in this in this area because it's important to get it right. Yeah, um, for you and for your organisation. So yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would also um, build on that with talk to multiple experts. 
because everybody comes with a different take. So I, I yeah, have yeah. a particular specialism around leadership coaching and building confidence and conversations. But I also work with other people who are specialists in um, inclusive recruitment or specialists in anti-racism yeah. or trans inclusion. Um, you are not if you are engaging with someone who's working in DNI who is telling you they are they can be all things to all of your needs. I would. Um, consider that a little and think about whether it's really something that's going to work for you or whether yeah. you would be better served identifying again what are your knowledge gaps what are your policy gaps and how can you engage with someone who can really meet those needs for you through specialist understanding yeah no yeah great advice so that sort of leads us nicely on to um to find a question about where people can find out more about you katie now the Speaking of inclusion, podcast is relatively new, isn't it? it is. Yes, yes. We've been live for a number of weeks now, but it's it's being received very positively. So I'm really happy about that. But the um, the purpose of the podcast essentially is I found myself having some incredibly great conversations with all kinds of different people. All these, these people that I you know I've just mentioned are specialists in their own areas. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, I should record these conversations because we cover some brilliant stuff. <laughs> And then I thought, oh, yeah, that's a podcast. So um, so I now meet with them and we record our conversations where we just talk through all of the different things that they think are important, insights, um, mistakes that we've made. And we share that so that people can consume it and understand. Um, and I also do a mini um, mini episodes on that for you know, leadership time is precious and sometimes we haven't got long. So I also do um, explained in 10 minutes or less videos where concepts such as allyship privilege intersectionality to just kind of give you hey if you want to know what this is in somewhere between five and ten minutes have a quick listen and you're golden so yeah no gorgeous that's excellent and uh, obviously there's your tedx talk and you are katie allen k-a-t-i-e-a-l-l-e-n yep. um and then where so where where's the best place for people to connect with you then katie so I am absolutely delighted for people to come and find me on LinkedIn. I am uh, Katie Allen. You'll know it's me because it talks about avoid foot in mouth moments in my bio line. And I think <laughs> I'm the only the only Katie Allen using that one. Um, so come and find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with everybody. Um, I've also got my website, which is katieallenconsulting.com. Um, and there are details of other ways in which you can work with me on there, as well as links to the podcast and my blog and my newsletter. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for sparing some time today. It's a really important topic. And uh, there's so much, as you said, actually, when you were talking about organisations looking at a range of different specialists to help them. And also, I think when you spoke about leaders doing the work to for themselves first to look at their knowledge gaps, improve their, their awareness. And I think we've we've sort of touched the surface a bit today and and i hope that there's been some useful i'm sure and, and i know there will be some useful things in there but i think going into your podcast possibly having a conversation with you looking at other people in this space and just you know remaining current and being aware of what's going on really because it changes shape and it will continue to change shape life does doesn't it and it's our responsibility as human beings and leaders to keep yeah. up to speed with with yeah. that really to be sensitive to other people yeah absolutely and it is and it really isn't as scary as it can feel when you're starting on this journey it is that first conversation that first engagement where you really hold your hands up and say oh, i have no idea what i'm doing is the hardest point and everything from that point onwards it just gets easier and easier yeah so, so. 
Well, thank you very much, Katie, for spending time to appear on the Leadership Mindset podcast series. Um, much appreciated. Thank you. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.